there is a lot of mythology in grants. Some people talk about writing a great grant as if it is akin to bathing a litter of feral cats in an inflatable sink. People hire grant writers who don't know the funder or the grant or the organization and think that somehow magically they will be able to get a better result. But what is a grant? Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. What is a grant? It's nothing more than a program plan. If you are an organization that can't afford a grant writer, have your program staff write the grant. And what makes a well-written grant anyway? One that is written clearly, concisely, with details and passion. The best grant writers are good storytellers. For example, a journalism student who can write your program plan like a well-written magazine article. Start with the part of the story that is most compelling to immerse your audience into it, and then go back and bring in all the details. Another myth of grant writing is that small organizations get grants and then they just thrive. It solves all their problems. What people forget is that grants are only 10% of an organization's budget on a national average. And it takes a track record of accomplishments with other funders before one is eligible for most grants. To receive grants, one must be accomplished with a particular program serving a need that the grant wants to address. The more track record, the better. Strategic partnerships make the grant stronger. Depth over breadth is good. Evaluation and reporting is critical. Sustainability helps. At the G3X conference in August, we did a half-day grant writing workshop with Victoria Torres, a former trainer from 1OC, an organization that provides nonprofit training, also a professor at Cal State Fullerton, and a funder with the Sam Welly Foundation in Anaheim, started by the owners of the Anaheim Ducks hockey team. She has been on every side of a grant. Also joining us was Kim Sanchez of the Grant Professionals Association of Orange County. I have been teaching grant writing for over 20 years. I've written hundreds of grants with a high success rate. I've worked in agencies who gave out grant funding and sat on over 30 grant panels. Together, the three of us were a dream team of a grant writing workshop. And we are going to do this podcast in two parts. Part one will be the instructional grants workshop, and part two will show you what a grant panel experience is all about. Before you can write a grant, you have to find a grant. How do you find grants to write that fit with your mission? You can do this in several ways. Google is your friend. Want to find grants for after-school programs in Orange County? Google grants after-school programs, Orange County. See who is giving them who is getting them, and see what the amounts are. This will tell you who may give out funding in your area. You can get on mailing lists from funders. If you meet a funder, email them to put you on their mailing list. You can join professional networks and collaboratives. They often put out grant information. You can do a resource map, as I talk about in my book, The First 100 Days. A resource map will put you in touch with strategic partners in your area and funders in your area that are in the same mission base as you. 
Talk to strategic partners about who may partner with you on a project. Your networks and your ability to apply for grants doubles when you partner. Maybe you can't get that $100,000 grant on your own, but in a partnership, you're more competitive for that money. You can pay for services and software to find grants, such as GrantStation, which is often discounted through TechSoup. But you probably don't need to do this if these other methods I just mentioned work well for you. Now it's time to write the grant. It's important to start off by remembering that a grant is nothing more than a program design. If you design your programs well, your grants will be great. New programs and grants come about from several different sources. First, you may have a new program or a revamp of an old program due to your evaluation that points the way to make it stronger. In this case, your best source for funding may be current funders who have a vested interest in making the program better. You may have a new program triggered by planning. If you are following best practices, your board is responsible for strategic planning. They may decide you need to work in a new area of your mission that isn't being served. In this case, the board would be the best place to find funding for this program, either amongst themselves or their peers. You may have a new program triggered by a current funder who wants you to do a program that's important to them and fits within your mission. In this case, that funder should provide the funding for such a program or be able to help you bundle funding from themselves and their peers. You may have a partner who suggests a new program. In this case, the partner may help you find funding and grants that will make it stronger together. Victoria points out that there is a life cycle to a program. It pilots, tweaks, grows, matures, declines, and dies. At the point where the program is mature is where grants are best. During this time, you can actually add, branch off, or change your program to give new life while taking advantage of the track record and brand that you have built in the program. Victoria calls this plussing, adding new things. Evaluation is an important part of both program design and grants. It will be evaluation that tells you how to improve programs, what is needed, and gives ammunition to the need for growing that program. Evaluation will show the grantor that this needs to be done now and why. The first thing you need to know about the program design and a grant is they are really just covering the five W's and the two H's, the who, what, where, when, why, how, and how much. It's just that in grant speak, we cover them in a different order and with different labels. So first, we have the what. And the what in grant speak is called the abstract. The abstract is usually a 25 words or less statement that tells us and the funder what we are doing. Often it is also called a case statement or a theory of change. By doing X, Y will happen. This sets up the whole grant or program. It addresses the need and how we will tackle it. Because this is such an important piece, I suggest doing a logic model first. A logic model will also end up as part of the program plan, telling you what the negative effects are in the community. For example, if your program addresses gangs, a negative effect of gangs is a high percentage that will not graduate high school. Another effect may be a high percentage of incarceration. We would document the actual statistics of these in our logic model as footnotes with sources. Then we can transfer that over to our grant narrative later. We can also show the positive effects of our programs at combating these. For example, 
clients of an after-school program in their area may be shown as twice as likely to graduate and 80% less likely to go to prison. And if you have been doing evaluation of your programs, you will have actual statistics of these things. Next, we have outcomes. An outcome is a long-range result of our positive effects. For example, if clients are staying in school and not joining gangs or going to prison, the outcome would be college graduation, better paying jobs, earning over a million dollars more in their lifetime, which leads to generational change in the outcomes of their family. If you can articulate to a funder in a grant, a pitch, or a letter this logic model, you can back up your 25-word statement, your theory of change, your case for funding, your abstract. In our class, we ask participants to workshop their abstract, their case for funding statements. I'll let you listen in. All right, who else would like to read there? Would like some help with their grant writing? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, help veterans become aware of benefits to them and assist them in receiving those benefits. That, you know, I love that. I, I don't know about you guys, but I love that because I know it's so clear and simple. And sometimes people with these statements get too academic, where they're trying to use a lot of big words, and it, it just makes, if, think about reading 40 of these or 60 of these at a time, which you do when you sit on a grant panel. And it, if, they're, if they're really high-minded, academic sounding, you don't, that's why, you're reading so many, you don't even know what they mean anymore, or what they're saying by this. That is simple and clear to the point. Read it again. Help veterans become aware of benefits due them and assist them in receiving those benefits. So I'm going to assume just by that statement, you're going to tell me a story about how they're not getting benefits due them and how you're helping create uh, solve that problem. And that's all I can get from that, and that's all I need to get from that, because that tells me the whole program in a nutshell, the story. So that's great. I think I think that's very, very good. Um, who else? Yes, ma'am. Trying to get some of us clear. The new worker space will create programs that will break silos in learning and that encourage collaboration, cross-disciplinary experimentation. Okay, so you do something that I always tell people not to do when they're creating mission statements. They make a laundry list of things that we're going to solve. How many of those things could be compressed and not necessarily need the laundry list? For example, operating in silos and collaboration are kind of the same thing, right? You could get rid of the operating in silos and talk about that in the grant, in the details of the grant. But in the abstract, all we need to know is that the maker's race is using new technology to create collaboration. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, right? So and take the, another pass out. And the word will insinuate you're not doing it yet? Are you not doing it yet? Seek funding to create programs. So, but the point that Victoria is making is an important one because most grants are not seed money grants where they're giving you money to do something that hasn't been done. They want to give you money for something that is already proven and already successful. So 
uh, most grants are going to want you to have already done this before. So you might want to say that we we do this, not we will do this. It's a good point, Victoria. I didn't even notice that. Anybody else? By providing immediate shelter to transitional aged youth. Okay, transitional aged youth. Mm -hmm. If I'm sitting on a grant panel, am I going to know what that means? Probably not. Okay, think about that. Mm -hmm. What's a better way of saying that? Um, it means uh, youth who are aging out of the foster care system. So maybe saying emancipating youth? or something that might be a more traditional label that people would know. Because okay. I've worked in foster care a long time, I've never heard that term. Okay. These are terms that are familiar. What was the term? Transitional, what is it? Transitional aged youth. Transitional aged okay. youth. Have you heard that term before? Yeah, but only because I'm around. Only because you're cool. No, only because I'm cool. It is a newer term. It is a newer term. It is a newer term. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There are buzzwords that become the thing in grants, and like everybody's using it, but um, with that, that was a new one on me. With that word, too, you want to um, define the actual age. Because if you are all using youth, um, so I know an organization who uses the word youth, but their youth is 18 to 24. Some of you use youth, and it's high school youth, elementary youth, like, so you want to define it. They, yeah. In the abstract, it's, okay, it's better to define it. They might be emancipating young adults. would probably be more respectful of the age group, right? So would you suggest saying the age from 18 to 24 yeah. in the abstract? Well, I wouldn't even call them youth, honestly, because I work with 18 to 24 out of college, and I don't think they consider themselves youth, and I have, I'm trying to learn to consider them as young adults, which they are, and um, not call them kids. Consider them. Yeah, I mean, I still every once in a while slip up and call them kids, but I'm trying to condition myself not to do that because they're not kids. They're they're very smart young adults. Okay. Uh, who else? Anybody? As the only OC program that provides free school supplies for families who qualify, we help kids stay in school and have a brighter future. Go ahead. If you use the word only, make right. sure that you're only. Okay. <laughs> because I've had vendors go, really? Well, I got 200 applications here that all say the same. So that's the only, the singletary words are, are kind of dangerous in Grantland. Last call? Yes. Uniting Orange County leaders under a collective impact vision that leverages resources to create a thriving So when you say a collective impact vision, do you mean it's part of a collective impact project? Or do you mean it's part of a collaborative? Oh. Because collective impact has a very specific meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't use it if it's not part of a collective impact project. Uh, I, I would say part of a collaborative effort or whatever. Okay. Or um, a strategic alliance might be another way to say it. Another important part of the what is setting goals, as articulated here by Victoria. So I actually believe that the what, actually, so you have your abstract, very brief is the what, but I actually believe that your what also stems from your goals. So if you lay out your goals properly, you are telling the funder, you're telling the community, you're telling the people, you're telling everyone what exactly it is that you're doing. So 
So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the goals because I think this is the most important part of uh, the proposal because it should be smart, it should be specific, measurable, um, attainable. attainable, and realistic, and, and measurable time. Time-based. Time-based, right? So if you can capture all of those in your goals, then you've pretty much told the community, you've told everyone what it is that you're going to do. So I believe it starts with goals, and so the goals respond to the identified needs or problems. You have your need, and now you're going to tell the community what you're going to do as a result of it, right? What's going to happen um, based on this? Uh, it's answering the question to what funders are asking, and well, okay, so what are you going to do? That sounds that sounds cool. That sounds great, but but what what does that mean, right? What is it going to look like, and how are you going to go? The, the how is then your process, but tell me what. Um, they end, they dictate the program activities, so. Your goal really, you should start with your goal and then let your activities from there follow. A lot of times organizations just stick with the activity, this is what we're gonna go do, and then realize later that it's not working, um, or they then decide what their goal is gonna be from that and have to work backwards like, well, if the goal is to do this, how is that training or that workshop, how is that going to get us there? So you really wanna lay out what is the ultimate goal for your client, the goal for the agency, the goal of, this entire endeavor, okay? And they will define your budget. So I love sitting with organizations and they don't know how much it's gonna cost because they really didn't sit down and calculate, well, how many clients they were gonna serve or how many workshops they're gonna do or how many, like how this is, what this is gonna take. And then it's very difficult to figure out what the budget is or they guess on the budget and then realize, oh, we actually need more money to do what we said we're gonna do. Well, why? Well, because we didn't really clearly define our goals. So your goals will also then lead to your budget. So I believe they lead to everything. If you have clear, solid goals, then it will help uh, outline everything else. Um, so goals respond to the needs. So typically your program, you wanna have two to four goals. I'm gonna give you an example of how you would um, do it in a format for four. Um, they're ambitious. They're not always attainable over the short term. Okay, you usually have short-term goals and long-term goals, um, but they definitely provide focus and a way of communicating to others what it is that you're going to do. Okay, in a measurable timeline. When you're at writing the goal, you want to ask yourself what ideal condition would exist if we eliminated something, if we um, <coughs> prevented something, if we improved the situation. What ultimately is going to happen thanks to your activity, thanks to this collaborative, thanks to this convening, thanks to working with the children in this particular way? What ideally will happen? Are they going to get a job? Are we going to end hunger? Are we going to keep the kids off the streets? What essentially will be prevented or eliminated or improved? Okay. And what's the overall long-term condition? Right. That goes back to the theory of change and the case statement. If we did what we if we did this, eventually child abuse would no longer happen. Right? Or hunger would not be an issue. Poverty would not be a problem. Okay? Ultimately that's the long-term goal. You want your goals to be focused, declarative. Okay, you're declaring something. You're not saying maybe, sort of, kind of. You're declaring, yeah, this will happen. Um, it's concise, it's short. Very easily understood, right? It goes back to the same like with the abstract. Very easily understood. Jargon free. Stay away from double negatives. 
Uh, and my favorite one at the bottom, of organization's goal should never be to provide. This is a big pet peeve of mine. Why? Any idea why you should not be to provide? Huh? It's enabling, right? No, not enabling. Um, you're all providing something. She had the answer. Or, I'll just Because um, you're already providing the service, you're, the grants to support whatever you're already providing, so it's not future to provide. Yeah, so, so I always, yeah, that's part of it. Um, and also because you all can provide something, but for what purpose? Mm -hmm. You're providing it to what? So you're saying you're, you're teaching people, you're giving people a fish instead of teaching them a fish when you say provide. Yeah, but uh, yes, but more so I want to know why are you providing it? Why are you providing mentors to youth? So it's one thing to say to provide a mentor to every youth in Fullerton versus what's the ultimate goal of providing them a mentor? That they go to college. Yeah, that they go to college. So really you're not providing mentors, you are Providing a road to college. <laughs> but you want to say no, provide. You want to use provide. But do you understand what I'm saying? So you're not just providing, um, what's the bell, you guys, you're not just providing after school or, or in a, a recess um, programs. Right, so you're not just providing research programs. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing the recess program? So to build healthy communities. Okay. Um, bridge the gap between school and home. Right. So words like building, bridging, increasing, decreasing, eliminating, preventing, right? You want to use words beyond um, what's the purpose of providing this program? Okay. So you go from small picture to large picture. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. What would ultimately happen in providing it? If you provided it, what should happen? Okay. You should be decreasing something or increasing something or alleviating something, okay? So it typically in um, in the goal setting world you have um, different type of objectives. So you have process objectives, which is measuring to what extent you're providing the activity. And then you have outcome objectives. And this is where funders usually want you to get, but oftentimes we don't get. So a lot of nonprofits are really good at defining the process, right? Um, how many? we served, but after you serve that many, what happened, right? And that's typically the outcome, right? So what happened as a result of providing them recess, right? Structured recess, okay? So there's, there's a, the process in which you get them to be served, and then there's the ultimate outcome of what they actually got out of the activity, okay? So short term, um, so Short term can be um, in impact and outcome. Sometimes funders will want to know what's your long term goal, but sometimes it's good enough to just share the short term. So the way I define, I separate these out. A short term uh, outcome could be to what extent are you having an impact on a person's knowledge, their attitude or belief? And then the longer term is what is the impact you're having on their behavior? Right? This is more like six months, a year, even 10 years down the line, the long-term result of your program. Some of you are working with youth with a long-term goal of getting them to college. It's probably really hard to track them, right, when they're starting with you at sixth grade. But your ultimate long-term goal is that, by, that this program that they're in right now is eventually leading to college entrance, okay? Okay, so process, 
So process objectives are typically like units of service, right? So how many of you measure how many people you serve? Right? So that's your process, okay? So units of service, information about how you implement. Um, it allows you to study how are people finding you? How are your clients getting to you? You may measure um, you know, how they hear about you, how many, how many applications you sort through. Um, that is typically what I read a lot in grants is we serve X amount of students a year or we, we put on X amount of workshops or we are in X amount of schools. Right? Those are all your process type uh, goals. And they help with describing like if you need to make improvements, if you need to, um, going back to the very beginning of, of the lecture, we talked about how sometimes new programming comes out of evaluations. It's typically because of the type of process goals you've implemented. So if your initial process goal is, oh, we want to get into eight, we want to partner with eight schools, and you've only gotten into three. Well, how come you're not an eight yet? Maybe it's the way that you're working with the schools, or maybe um, there's some hiccups that you've come across. Maybe there's other partnerships you need to develop. But those, these goals will help determine those, um, those areas that you need to kind of switch and maneuver and course correct, right? How are you going to course correct to reach that, okay? So process objectives are, are how are we getting to the number we hope to, to get to? And a lot of times you have to ask yourself, well, what is even our, our foundational base, right? If there are, is it based on a geographic location, right? Are, is there even that big of a need, right? So it goes based on what is the current need um, in your community so you can determine what that process number is. So this is one example of how you would write a process objective or process goal. So by a certain date, right? So if you're writing a grant and um, it's due in a month, and it's for the next calendar year or the next fiscal year, you probably want to write it based on, on that, right? Based on the end date of the grant, okay? So by X, we'll just say next year, um, number of participants will what? What will they do? Will they attend something? Will they complete something? Will they receive a certain service, okay? And then what is that service? Describe that support, which is your program. Program A, program B, program C. And then this is oftentimes uh, optional, but I like to just add it here so that you are in the mindset of thinking. Um, measured by what? Okay, this should be a big part of your goal setting when you're doing this with program or doing this with your board or doing this with anyone because it builds a culture of evaluation. It forces your team to think end in mind. If this is what we want to do, right? If we want to, um, by the end of 2020, uh, 120 participants will complete program A measured by X, then it just, it, it just brings in that awareness and that mindset of, hey, how are we gonna measure this? Okay, so I always like to add that last part. So that's process, and then outcome. So then outcome will describe the expected benefit of the program. So now if 120 kids finished, what do we expect to happen if they finished an eight-week program, a 10-week program, okay? How has the program um, affected their behavior, their knowledge, their attitude, their belief? Um, you can have different, different levels of outcomes here. It could affect the individual, it could affect the program, the agency, 
the community, the environment, right? So these are more of the long-term outcomes of, of what this looks like. So same format, just a more uh, deeper, a deeper layer. Um, so by, it could be that same time frame, it could be a later time frame, right? It could be maybe a year later, but by uh, January 2021, a percent of that number, so a percent of that previous number in your process goal. So if you had 120 kids go through program A, let's be realistic, not all 120 are gonna end up going to the next phase of your hope of your um, outcome your, or your hopeful outcome but maybe 70% do right so 70% of the 120 participants will what will they show an increase in um, attitude of desire to go to college right maybe kids came into the program with no desire to go to college but a year later you surveyed them again and they at least showed desire through this mentor program. So, um, so, and that's where you would note that at the end, by a measured score of, I don't know, this is where it forces you to think about your measurement. So by writing these goals, it's actually forcing you to think about your outcome. Because then early on in, this, in the game, you have to think about how you're gonna measure it. A lot of times we go in hoping that this is what we'll do, but we never think about, well, how are we ever gonna really know if that's what we did? And this is the format that I share with people to challenge them in thinking that way, okay? So let me just give you start to finish, okay? I bring up training a lot from my previous work. Um, a process goal for us would be butts and seeds. <laughs> so we would say, um, you know, at the end of the year, we wanna serve 900 nonprofit professionals, okay? That's, but in, in one calendar year, 900 uh, uh, nonprofit professionals will come through our doors and go to training. A second layer of process or our outcome would be, um, we don't just want them to sit there and, and say they learned, we actually want to know that they enjoyed the training and they got something out of it. So uh, outcome would be that they gave us you know, positive feedback that they enjoyed what they learned and they said that they took it back to their office, right, and did something with it. That's one short-term outcome, right, that after this you at least liked it. Our long-term outcome was that you actually went back to your office and you implemented what you did and you got a result out of it. So our best data we ever got was we would send out six-month and 12-month surveys to uh, individuals that attended our grant writing class because we offered it four times a year, so it was very popular. And we wanted to know, did you, after taking the class, did you write a grant? And we asked these specific questions. Did you write a grant? Did you receive funding? How much funding? And what, was, what did that mean to your organization? And we would get 70% of the people that went through that class would respond back to us and say, yep, I wrote a grant. Yes, it was valuable. This is how much, and this is what I did. So that was our long-term goal. Our investment, though, was six months, 12 months after the person took the training. But it was gold. Like, it was just gold for us, because we would write, and, and our grant writer, she would write that's those surveys, she would write all that into grants, as to how we were um, impacting the organization through the professional development opportunities. So, okay, so that's my <laughs> very quick rundown of goals.
Once you have the what, the abstract, the case for funding, the theory of change down, we are ready to move on to the why. And the why is the need in grant speak. And we have already taken care of this when we did our logic model. Now you will have no trouble showing need when writing your grant. Sometimes this is asked as a separate question. Other times it's just included in the narrative section. And that brings us to the who. There is actually two parts to this in terms of grants and program design. The who you are serving, meaning the clients, and the who is running your programs, meaning your lead staff. You have to prove to the funder that you are serving clients in need, meaning that you have a viable system to recruit clients and maintain them, that you know who your clients are and can articulate why they are right for your program. For example, our clients are 18 to 24 years old, college-age emancipated foster youth who we recruit from strategic partnerships with three Orange County foster care agencies as they age out of their system. Next, you must show that you have the best lead staff running your programs. Quality is an important part of a grant score. For example, Jose Gonzalez, our site director, grew up in this neighborhood and is an alumni of our programs. He graduated from the California State University Fullerton in counseling and is getting his MSW degree and will be a master of social work within the year. He has five years experience as our junior staff member and has been running programs here for three years. He is a Gianneschi Leadership Fellow. Let them know that you have quality people running your program. The how is the narrative statement. This is the long form on most grants and is a place for you to tell all the details that were not included elsewhere. Find out, are there any curricular standards that you must meet? Are there government guidelines to this grant? Did you design your program with client buy-in from your evaluation that you can mention here? That all makes it stronger. Is there a strategic partner to help with design and implementation? That will also strengthen your proposal. In the how, the narrative, you should approach it like a magazine article on your program. Don't be flowery or general. Start with passion and the most interesting thing about your program to get them hooked in, and then go back and add the details later with great specifics. In our class, we did a short workshop on first paragraphs to show participants how to create a great opening to a narrative. I'll let you listen in. When Trevor Hendershot, who has Down syndrome, was freshman in high school, he was bullied, called the R word, and told that he was worthless. Nevertheless, by his senior year, he, had, he was, the faculty drafted him on the homecoming court, he was elected homecoming king in the greatest landslide in school history, God War Boats, the other four combined. After graduation, he was told the best job he could ever hope for would be folding towels in the basement of a hotel laundromat. Nevertheless, he was hired as a team star greeter in 2012 by the LA Angels, in 2013 by the Anaheim Ducks, in 2018 by the LA Rams and the USC Trojans. Over the years, he's become known, admired, and often loved by literally tens of thousands of sports fans, fellow employees, team executives, and professional athletes. Angels for Hire seeks to replicate what he does here in Southern California by inspiring many more stadiums and many more areas to hire many more individuals with Down syndrome to work as greeters in their team store. That's excellent. That's excellent. And you're a proud dad, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. But that comes through, that passion comes yes. through. That, that's good. That's really good. Yes. Anybody else want to read? I'll, I'll, okay. muddle, I'll muddle through it. All right, go for it. Okay. Joe Wilson is a 75-year-old Vietnam veteran. 
as a foot soldier. He spent 11 of his 12 months overseas in the rice fields of Vietnam, often filled with Agent Orange. Today, he now has Parkinson's, has had his prostate removed, is diabetic, and justifiably so, depressed. When Sam Smith, the peer navigator, a fellow Vietnam veteran, heard this, he talked with Joe and guided him to the veteran service office there his disability claim was started. Unbeknownst to Joe, he qualified for disability and within 90 days, he was rated at 100% and is now receiving over $3,000 per month, along with proper medical care, and his depression has lifted. That's perfect. It's great. I would, I would get rid of so, the word so, and, and understandably depressed. I don't think you need so. Oh, okay. Yes. I have a question. So these are all very like individual focused. Do you ever recommend doing it more generalized? So there's something great about having a story to glom onto to start um, that is a representative of everything the grant's about. So when you can do that, it's it's much easier to read it. And as somebody who's read 30 and 40 of these, I pray for those stories. So so do I. Yeah, it's so much easier to read. So can you do it without it? Of course. Do people get funded without the stories? Of course. I have. <laughs> but boy, do the stories make things so much easier. Uh, not just to read, but to follow, to understand. It gives you a, a real starting point and a target to kind of focus on. It's a great thing. Did you want to read one? So, um, it's a little, just a little complex because there's so many different stories, they all kind of point to the same thing. So, so you know what, when that happens, you do what Charity Water did, and you just create an amalgamation, a made-up person, of all the stories. And, and some organizations are fearful to use stories because they don't want to use real names, real identities, mm -hmm. real ages. So we do a lot of amalgamating, well, yeah, yeah. amalgamating stories especially when I'm talking about um, minors, youth, yeah. children. Because I'm trying to get a, a, a conceptual of what it's going to be. The point isn't for me to know the truthful story about a girl who took ballet or a boy who took ballet. Mm -hmm. The truth for me is the truth of this grant is for mm -hmm. me to get at what you're doing and what the, what the mission is. So the truth is whatever you tell me it is because I only know what you tell me. Exactly. And so the truth of this is that the, what we do is help them transcend. But this is a specific transcendence. Mm -hmm. So it is a true story. Yes. Yeah. This is um, when Victoria woke up in Chalk's ICU, the doctor said, good news, bad news. Um, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, brain surgeon, and I can tell you, you are going to live. She just had a concussion. Um, but of course, you'll never be a ballerina, will you? He didn't know uh, this was a death sentence he was imposing to a girl who was on her way to becoming a ballerina. Victoria went back to train at uh, Anaheim Ballet and was later featured along with her story on Dance with the Stars. Um, AB is known for its maxim, more than dance, helping clients transcend perceived limitations. That's great. I mean, it needs some editing, but that's great. That's really good. Thanks. Here's the opening I gave as an example from an old grant of mine. Maya is a 10-year-old in the cancer ward on the fourth floor of Chalk Hospital, the Children's Hospital of Orange County. 
learning puppets from Muckenthaler artist Zoot Velasco. She lost her leg to cancer, and finds Zoot also lost his leg to surgery and grew up in a hospital. Her dad, Miguel, says the visits have really helped her communicate and adjust to her new normal. Next week, she will make pottery with artist Willie Tabata. This is the pilot program at Chalk to bring an artist every week in four revolving art forms. And then it goes on from there with the details. Do you see how starting this way gets the reader into a grant first before the stats and details are thrown out? Just remember this is technical, journalistic writing. Inject your mission and passion while still being very specific. Within the narrative, you may also include some other elements if they are not asked for in separate questions. The where. The where refers to the site. That's what we call it in grant speak. What sites are you using for your program and what makes them conducive to great programming? Is it because they are centrally located? Do they have great facilities? Do they take participants out of their comfort zone or make them more comfortable at home? Why is this a great site? The when is called the timeline in grant speak. You need to create a timeline of when your programs will take place. And remember to include in your timeline the planning, the evaluation, and the reporting. The how much is the budget. Budget should be simple, clear, and not mixed in with other programs that can confuse the reader. Both income and expenses must balance. Your program is $40,000. You need to show that there is $40,000 in income and $40,000 in expenses. Make sure they add up and that all the details are there. Make sure that anyone can understand your budget. Usually, there is a space to make notes on your budget. Use it. This is a great place to explain things and make things clear. Once your program is designed, your grant is also written. Now you just have to implement it as a pilot, evaluate it, tweak it, innovate it, and grow it. In part two of this podcast, we will take you behind the curtain to show you what happens to your grant when it leaves you and how people talk about your programs. This can be very enlightening for grant writers to see how others perceive their grants. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.